0: Would you uh, you join me in prayer as we jump in the word. Lord, I thank you that this morning that you are at work among us. God, you always are you never leave us, you never forsake us. There's so much more happening around us than than we become aware of. And Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that perceives, God, what you're doing in our lives, what you're saying to your body, Lord, what, what you are doing in the earth, God, that you would make us aware this morning of being a part of your kingdom and I pray, God, that you would give us a window into who you've made us to be, that there would be identity displayed today, and that each one would recognize your voice, their father's voice, and the identity of who you've made them to be would come shining out of them today. Give us eyes to see, Lord. So I just bless our time, I consecrate it, set it apart, that Jesus would be displayed more fully in your life and that wisdom would take root so that you would know how to live in these days. God, I thank you for that. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, hallelujah. You know, the journey of discovery of who God made you to be, it's a fun one. Has anybody ever figured that out? It's fun. The, the glimpse at what God's calling you to, it, it causes you to come alive. I, I feel like when we get close to the, the path of life, when we, when we come to recognize the path that God has us on, and, and you start to walk in it, that, that there's this awakening that takes place in your soul that, that it, it isn't awakened by anything else, not this way. You get near who God made you to be, and, and something in you begins to come alive. Your heart awakens. You become curious. You start asking deeper questions. The Lord stirs you on the inside, and so that, that you are alert in spirit and in heart. And this, this happens in some, you know, there, there are events, such as perhaps like a Super Bowl, an event where you could get excited about outcomes or you could get excited, not that excited because neither of our teams are there, right? <laughs> but, but you could get excited and, and, and no matter how excited you get about the outcome of a game, no matter how invested you feel in that process, it, it's not speaking to the identity of who you are. You're cheering somebody else on. I think that's why we get excited and why something comes alive in us at all when it comes to these kinds of experiences, because we see in somebody else that they're living out the thing that maybe they were made for. They've given themselves fully to something and committed to it. And in that commitment, we see excellence coming out of them and and it speaks to something in our heart. I think there's something of value there, more so when the Packers are there, but it's okay. Okay or Vikings, or, you know, pick your poison, I guess. But that thing of, of recognizing, man, I think I was made for something. Man, there's a life flow that comes into a person. We discover this in many ways. I, I'll highlight a few, but then we're going to focus in. We're going to narrow in on, on one way that the Lord reveals identity. But if you are talking to God and you're, you, in your prayer life, he talks back to you, and, you know, there's direct communication where God just straight up calls you a name. He just tells you, hey, this is who you are. Can that happen? Sure. I have lots of uh, experiences personally where I felt like the Lord said something about me, you know, and I watch it play out. I have friends. The same thing has happened. We can read it in the Bible all over the place where God will say something to someone. He'll go, hey, this is who you are. You know, David's a 13-year-old out in the field watching sheep. Gets called into the house and wanders into his house to find his brothers all lined up. And this scary cloaked guy with a vial of oil is standing there, you know, with the crooked finger. It's you. You know, and he walks in and Samuel the prophet, can't you imagine? You know, I don't know. I see things in like Star Wars vision, you know. <laughs> the one we've been waiting for. Mm, you know, like you are it. And and he comes in, this is surely the man, and he takes out the flask of oil and anoints him and goes, You are the next king of Israel. 13-year-old kid. Confirmed identity from the beginning, like, hey, this is who you are. That's awesome. Good for him. You know. Maybe it didn't happen for you that way. That <laughs> isn't how it rolled out for me either. But can God talk to us directly like that, where he just straight up tells you who you are? Of course he can. That's not the only way that the Lord affirms who he made you to be, though. It's not the only way that the Lord confirms your Calling or your purpose in life. It doesn't have to come from a prophet just calling you out. It doesn't need to come from an angelic visitation. Although those things happen, could it happen to you? Sure. I like think it really could. You could have a dream in the night and the Lord speak to you like Solomon and God just literally tell you, hey, you're the king and I'm going to give you anything you ask for. So name it. Could it happen to you? Sure. Not sure I'm ready for that question yet. You know, I I don't know what I would answer. I don't feel like maybe, but Solomon was, and he asked for the right thing. He said, hey, help me to do a good job. That's what he asked for. And the Lord said, okay, I'll help you to to do a good job, and then I'll give you all the stuff that you didn't ask for, too. God talks directly to people. He encounters them if that happens to you amazing it won't be the only time and the only way that god affirms your identity though many times in david's life he has to go through trials and tests and every one of them are proving who he is in god they'll keep pointing back to the same thing there's other ways that god does this as well you know i i had this experience i there was um I, I had, we had, the church had started, it was, we were not very many years into it and we, uh, I was spending some time in prayer and just seeking the Lord and, and I had this encounter with the Lord and he showed me a very vivid picture. I, can, I could describe it to you in detail right now. Like it's still in my mind that way. And, and out of this experience, the Lord said to me, he said, you are the dreaded one of the Lord Most High his champion that's how he put it poetic i would have never come up with that you're the dreaded one of the lord most high his champion right whoo i came out of that experience like yeah let's go you know what happened right after that we went into crazy trials the church lost uh we didn't have a place to meet anymore we we had losses in the family we had uh, there, there was pain. There was losses in relationships. There was a crisis in the church itself where, where, where I ended up actually having to ask a family to leave. Painful, very painful, difficult. Decisions that I did not feel prepared for at all. And the whole time that I'm having to make these decisions and move this thing forward, because I knew that God wanted us to do this, the whole time I have echoing in the back of my head, you're the dreaded one of the Lord Most High, His champion. Like, no one told me that an identity comes with a test, right? But, but it was that sense of identity that bolstered me and made me think to myself, okay, maybe I really am the man for the job. It couldn't come from anybody else. I, I had people encouraging me, but it didn't reach that deep place in the soul. The only way that... It reaches the deep place in the soul as if your father in heaven speaks to you. You get your identity from your father. Our name comes from our father. Some of us have not had good examples of earthly fathers. And so when I say that, that comes with a little bit of pain. But you get your identity from your father. Your Father in heaven knows who you are. You came from him, and he has been speaking to you your whole life. And so you will have situations throughout your life that confirm who he made you to be. From day one until now, you were called from your mother's womb. It may not feel like that, but it's true. He's always known who you are. Direct experiences, God speaks to us. Yes. It's not the only way though. Situations pop up. Those situations call us into our identity. Gideon was living in a time where Israel was surrounded by the army of Midian. And the Midianites numbered around 150,000. And they were going to wipe Israel off the map. They wanted the land. They were going to take them out. And God starts speaking to Gideon. He's like, hey, you're the guy. Gideon blows the trumpet, gathers all the warriors of Israel. There's 32,000 of them. 32,000 against 150,000. Not great odds, right? The Lord says, it's too many. You might think you did it. Don't you love that? You might think you did it you got to send a bunch of them home. All right, who's afraid? If you're afraid, leave your stuff, go home. Still too many people. God says, take them down to the river. Let them drink. Let's go get a drink from the river. So we go down to the river. Let's see who drinks the best. <laughs> Stick your face in it, lap it up, or cup it to your face, right, and then whoever did it one way they're going home whoever did it the other way gets to stay there's only 300 of them that drank the right way evidently (laughs) leave your stuff go home there's 300 of them against 150,000 and God keeps saying to Gideon you're the man (laughs) your identity is to be a champion you are going to win a battle that's going to release victory for everyone but this is how the Lord does it is that he prepares a heart to face a situation and in you facing that situation the victory you win will affect all I think this is how God advances the kingdom through your life I, th- I think that you've been prepared for situations and you would say to me well Pastor Jamie why me why did I have to go through that I don't know but I can tell you this that the victory you win won't just be your own You'll release a victory that goes to the rest of the body of Christ. Your win is our win. Your testimony pronounces and declares the victory of Jesus. You advanced his government in a way that only you could. And it matters. So your situations, although they don't feel fair, might be putting you in the position that calls your identity forth. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. That's what they declared. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The people rallied around a person's identity, and the victory came to Israel because people believed in the identity of the person who heard from God. Friends, your situation might not be enjoyable. I doubt that was fun. And the crazy idea that came to them to hold up a torch, smash a pot, blow a trumpet. <laughs> I don't know. You know that clearly, they've been drinking. <laughs> but then the Lord brings victory. It's amazing. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe it's calling your identity forth. You know, It's not always a direct call. It's not always a situation. There is another way. This is what I want to just spend the rest of our time talking about today. There is another way that the Lord affirms, confirms, and calls your identity out of you. He does it through people. He does it through people. He does it through association. I want you to make a declaration with me. I, I want you to say something, okay? Repeat after me. My calling calling is not not independent independent from from other people. You are who you are, and sometimes it is directly related to the people that God's called you to walk with. The house church has a corporate identity, and if God's called you here, you're a part of it. Our identity is your identity. Sometimes people deny it. Sometimes people don't like that. Because I, I want my own independent thing. And when you want your own independent thing, that's fine. But realize that the inheritance, the blessing, corporate anointing, the victories of others, all that stuff is in your bank account right now. And when you pull back and go, no, I want it my way, you delete what has come upon you that had nothing to do with you. Sometimes there's healing in the room and you go and you minister to somebody and they get healed and God did it through you, but it had nothing to do with you. Sometimes you prophesy and you're like, wow, God knows how to speak to me and I know how to speak on behalf of God, not realizing that you're in the company of prophets. (laughs) That it wasn't you. It is you, but it's not only you. God wants to do it through you, but it's not about you. There's a greater work that you're being called into, but as soon as you think it's you, buddy... You, you, you eliminate the ability for God to use you. He gives grace to the humble. Right? If you fall upon the rock, you're going to break a little bit, but there's grace to raise you up. But if the rock needs to crush you, it's going to be a bad day. This happened to the Apostle Paul. I think we think of Paul as being like, oh, he, he was God's man, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees, and now he, he wrote most of the New Testament. He's God's man. And we kind of think of him as, I don't know, I, I, you know, he's this theologian who framed up the doctrine of New Covenant theology. did a great work, but, you know, he didn't do it alone. And his experience has shaped how he thought and wrote and the Holy Spirit moving in and through him, but it wasn't just a person, an individual that did all that. It's in a context. I want to talk to you about one of those relationships that I don't, it's kind of obscure. You just wouldn't see it unless you really look at it. it comes out of Acts chapter 16. Now realize I'm talking to usums, but I'm also talking to you. I'm talking to us as a corporate body, but man, I am, if, if I could put my finger in your chest today, I would go, I'm talking to you. God's made you more. You, you, you have more than what you're experiencing currently. There is more about your life than you think it currently is. Above and beyond, exceedingly. God wants to touch your life. Amen? Okay, so say this out loud. He's talking to me. Come on, get your own word. He's talking to me this morning. All right. Acts 16:1: Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Timothy. Good old Timmy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. So Paul is on an apostolic mission. Jerusalem and the apostles at Jerusalem have sent Paul out with a letter from them to go tell the churches and give them specific instructions concerning the order of worship and some things that had just been coming out in the New Testament church. The Gentiles didn't really know better. They weren't raised in this Jewish framework. And so they were still eating like food sacrificed to idols and you know things like circumcision. And, and there, are, there are specific issues that had come up that were causing problems. And so Jerusalem decided to write a letter, determine some laws, if you will, And send it out to the churches which by the way the vast majority of their decisions paul undoes later on he's like ah yeah we got way ahead of ourselves there we shouldn't have done some of this stuff because what does it have to do with god all right the rules don't make the person your identity doesn't come from the rules and so Paul is on this mission, and he's bringing this letter to all the churches and presenting it, and things are going well. And then he comes to this city where he discovers this young man, Timothy. And something in his heart goes, I like this kid. I like him. You ever had that happen? You just meet somebody, you're like, man, I don't know why, but I like you. I don't know why. Something about you. I like you. I want to hang out. I've had that happened a couple times in my life you know I don't know what you were thinking there but all the giggles I like people come on leave me alone and and he he bumps into Timothy and he goes he goes I like you kid I want you to come with me I'm on this mission you know you, you're a good kid come on let's do this together He probably thinks nothing of it, just that he likes the kid. There's something about him that he wants to be around. So he invites him. He says, I want you to help me do this thing. Now look at this. Paul wanted this man, verse 3, to go with him. So he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. That's not the mission trip I'd sign up for. This feels like a condition that maybe we would want to discuss before, right? (laughs) That's a bad day. Later on, Paul says, like, hey, if you get circumcised because of the Jewish people, then you're negating your faith. So clearly, he also didn't have a good time of it either. He's like, I'm never going to do that again. Okay? He circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts and because Timothy's father was Greek. And so everybody could see, oh, you're of a different ethnicity. Are you circumcised? I don't know why this is a part of the conversation, but it was. They want to know, how can you be a believer? You're clearly Greek. You have an ethnicity that points to a different belief system. Are you set apart unto God? And they're asking this question, so Paul responds by getting ahead of it so he does this. They were passing through some cities, and they were delivering the decrees, this is verse 4, which had been decided by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Verse 5, so the churches were being strengthened in their faith. Amazing. They were increasing in number daily. So it's working. Churches are growing. People are growing in their faiths. It's like awesome. All the places the gospel is gone. It's growing. It's increasing. Like, it's a good missions trip. But something has changed. And Paul isn't realizing it yet, but he's about to. They begin to pass through some regions. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them and forbids them to speak the word in Asia. Holy Spirit tells them, you cannot go to this other place. Paul wanted to go east towards Asia. Paul's mind was fixed on that people group. He wanted to go there. He tried to go there, and the Holy Spirit said no. Do you think the gospel would have worked in Asia? Yes. In fact, later on it does. It explodes in Asia. But for some reason, Paul's not supposed to go there. He doesn't know why. Holy Spirit doesn't explain him. But something has changed. He's not supposed to go to Asia, and so he doesn't. Not supposed to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit forbids it. They came to Mycenae, verse 7, and they were trying to go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. That's Asia Minor. Paul's like, okay, we can't go to Asia, but maybe we can skirt it. Right. Nikki and I lived in North Carolina and we felt I mean, we loved it there. We loved the church we were part of. We loved the experience. We had good friends. It was a powerful time in our lives. And, you know, and we wanted to stay. We tried to buy a house there. We were involved in the ministry. I got offered a job at this church that was exploding in growth and things were going well. And like, it was really powerful. But the Holy Spirit forbid us to stay. He shut the door. None of the people did. They were asking us to stay. They offered me a job. We had a house lined up. Like, everything is right. And the Holy Spirit got ahead of us and said, no, you can't. You have to go home to Minnesota. You got to go home to Minnesota. I'm talking to my wife, and she's like, are you sure that was God? Actually, I mean, literally, she said, why'd you have to ask that stupid question? (laughs) God, if it's not you, then you need to shut the door. That was like our prayer, and she was like, that's stupid. Why would you even pray that? (laughs) He forbid us from staying. We had to move home. We felt it in our heart. In my desperation and love for my wife, I said to her, give me 10 years in Minnesota. We'll finish the call. We'll do what we're supposed to do, and I'll give you a year in Hawaii. Because my wife loves Hawaii. She's still trying to hold me to this, okay? (laughs) 20 years later, like, geez. I'm just saying, Jesus, if you had to go down to Egypt so that you could be called from Africa, right? Like his parents make a detour down to Egypt right before they go back up to Nazareth. Why? Because the prophet said it was supposed to happen that way. And so Jesus got to go all the way down to Egypt, which is in Africa, so he can come back to Bethlehem and be born in David's city. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, was it, was it that the prophets were drinking a little bit too much and they just got ahead of God in some things, named some things, and now God's got to fulfill the word? I'm just saying, Lord, I said, hey, we need to go to Hawaii, so could you just please throw us a bone here? That'd be great. Okay, anyway, sidetrack. So we're, we're like, we can't stay here. We have to go home. And so we know it's according to the Lord. We know the Lord's in it. We don't know why. But something is there. And so something comes alive in us in that, and and we're asking the question, like, why? Why would we go there? Our hearts weren't there. We didn't want to go there. Can I tell you? I doubt that Paul wanted to go where he was going next. I don't think he did. I think he wanted to go to Asia. And then he set his sights on Asia Minor. And then the Lord came to him in a dream. Look at this. Verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Good call, Paul. Do you know where Macedonia is? Macedonia is the kingdom, basically, of the Greek heritage. Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia. This is the place of ruling, where Paul would go almost immediately. Why does Paul end up going to Macedonia? I want to propose something to you today, that the Bible gets things in the right order. That Paul thinks they're going to Asia, and he's got it in his head to advance the kingdom in a certain way, and he's picturing it and he's doing the work and everything's working, and then he meets this kid that he likes and that kid's heritage is greek and in his connection to this punk kid that he likes something has shifted in the divine partnership suddenly paul's called the macedonia which is the house of or the kingdom of it is the birthplace of western civilization it's the birthplace Of Western thought. Athens, Mars Hill, let's go talk to Socrates, let's go talk to Aristotle, let's look at Alexander the Great, let's watch as the culture of Western civilization, freedom of thought, the pictures of of what it looks like to have people have a voice within the world. All these things are Western thoughts. And God in His supernatural wisdom and knowledge knows that the place that Paul should go to lay the foundation of the kingdom as an apostle to the nations, that he should go to that birthplace or that cradle of life for Western civilization, not Eastern. That God would know that, that the Bible being written from a perspective that speaks from a foundation of Western thought, that it would touch the world in the modern world, and even to this day, Our thoughts, our Western thoughts, this is how we think. Do you see this? How did Paul get there? He got connected to somebody, the right person. And something shifts. I know you have your own calling. I know you have your own identity. Like, you are a powerful person, but did you know you're not supposed to do it on your own? And that when you get connected to people, that it's supposed to change the trajectory of your life. When I married my wife, my life got aligned to a greater purpose than what I was going to be doing on my own. My covenant with her determines the direction of our life. My gifting and my identity plus her gifting and her identity. When we came together, something new is given birth. People get in trouble in marriage because they try to hold on to their previous identities. They try to stay independent. They're unwilling to change. They demand that the other person changes. First 10 years of marriage is always like this. You try to change the other person. And then hopefully you figure it out. Like there's a lump on this head for a reason. It's right there. It's... Hey, this isn't the goal. The goal is not to change the other person. It's to weave our lives together to become. If the covenant of marriage isn't working for you, like, friends, you should die to yourself then. Because the reason it doesn't work is because you're still trying to make it work for you. This isn't a 50-50 proposition. This is a 100% proposition. Fully die to yourself. Serve somebody else and watch as God raises up something beautiful. It's not how the world teaches it, though, is it? No, no. But, of course, the world's got marriage rights, so we should just listen to them. Sometimes... The calling and the purpose, the identity, doesn't come from an overt just telling you what to do and doesn't come from a vision of the night. Sometimes it comes by who God calls you to walk with. And in your partnership with a person, suddenly something else emerges. This is the more difficult one to see. I would say to you that the people that, light up your heart, the ones you care about, the ones you love, the ones that God has brought in your life and for some reason you just have this connection, that spark of life that there's something dynamic in that relationship and that maybe there's calling and purpose connected to that. Are you alive today? Mhm. Thanks. <laughs> You know, there's another time that this happens in the scriptures. Just actually lots of times. It happens over and over and over. But I want to look at one more. This is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel 22. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. You know, when um, we started the church, there's four couples, my wife and I um, and the three other couples. And one of the couples in that group was Josh and Sarah Johnson. Now, I like bragging on Josh. I like to talk about Josh because, not because of the skill, but because of what our relationship produced. It was so powerful. It was very much like a Timothy-Paul thing that happened for me. Now, I can't speak to Josh's side of things, but I will tell you that the church doesn't exist without Josh's partnership in those early years. I just know this. I know this because something in the God thing that was going on in him multiplied what was going on in me. And there were others that joined that process. But I told Josh on the very first night that we met as, like, as a little Bible study, I told him, I said, Josh, you are a pastor. He hadn't thought of himself that way at all. Like, never had even entered his mind in construction. And our relationship drew that out of him. And there was a multiplying factor, right? I, I can tell you that it was the partnership and relationships with Steve and Jim Smith, the Smith brothers. Steve's one of our elders here. That My partnership with them released something. It was our connection together drew something greater out of us. You know, And, and those guys served what was going on inside of me. I had a vision to do this thing. And they, they didn't possess the vision. They just knew that in partnership with me, something else would come of it. And so they served me as we did this thing, and something beautiful began to happen. That's happened over and over and over through the years. We have an amazing elders team. Did you know that when I met Austin Coleman, I had had a dream about him before, and so when I met him, I said, I've seen you before. I know you. Austin was pastoring the church that met in this building 15 years ago. Something in the connection was dynamic. Austin will tell you the same thing. We knew that eventually we would be working together someday. And it took a number of years for those paths to align. And then here today, Austin was baptizing folks as a pastor in our context. Something dynamic there. It was a relationship. It was a connection that draws something out of us. Friends, I don't know who God's made you to be, but I can tell you that the people you're attracted to and the life flow that happens in the spark of connection that there's a God thing happening there, and that if you'll follow it, you might become something. Don't ignore those things. I remember sitting in Josh Johnson's living room. It was myself, Brian Stordahl, and Josh. We broke out communions before the church ever existed. We hadn't even, it wasn't even a, there wasn't a thing. There was nothing to even rally to We broke out communion. you remember this, Brian? We broke out communion. We sat in that living room. We committed to one another. And we said, listen, we don't know what God's going to do, but we're committed to each other. And in the relationship, something gets given birth. Maybe it's not the thing that you should be aiming at. Sometimes it's the people. Look at King David. This is... First Samuel 22, David had been running for his life. He, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about pop music, but it brings the devil out in people. David just killed Goliath. You'll understand what I'm saying. You're like, wow, that was a weird comment. Yeah, you'll get it. Just hold on. Like I've never said anything weird before. David had just killed Goliath. And he's coming back into town, and all the ladies, all the single ladies, right? They're all out on the streets. They're all out on the streets, and they're singing this song. Saul, King Saul, has killed his thousands, but David, whoo, David, David has killed his tens of thousands, and they're all waving hey at David as he's watching by. And Saul, the king, sees this and becomes insanely jealous and decides he's got to kill David. Now, you and I know that age 13, David got anointed as the next king of Israel. And something dynamic in that reality, the tension around King Saul and David is real. David's the solution to almost every problem Saul faces. Saul goes insane. David plays the guitar and the demon leaves him. Saul's got a war problem. David leads the people out in war and he wins the battles. Like David's anointed to be king, but Saul is insanely jealous. Why? Because Saul wants the kingdom to pass to his son, Jonathan. Even Jonathan, Saul's son, covenants with David and says, I'll serve you. I can see that God's chosen you. You're my best friend. The whole world is lining up to make David king next. And David has determined he's not going to take Saul out. He's not going to take the kingdom from him. Saul had no reason to be insanely jealous. He was going to get to finish his course. In fact, I would like to propose to you today that had Saul simply partnered with David, Saul's kingdom would have stayed established. It would have been powerful. And he could have just simply passed on the mantle to David when it was time. It didn't have to be like that. Who drives you nuts? Who are you so insanely annoyed about? They're good at something, but man, there's something in their personality that just bothers you. Who does something better than you and so you don't like to do it in their context? Why? Because they're better at it than you. I hate playing Monopoly with my wife. It's a true story. She was so nice and she would like, like she would play by the rules and, you know, and I would win. And then one day I was like coaxing her and I'm saying, honey, like doing deals with people and like being sort of shady in business, all that stuff, just part of the game. You got to, you know, you play to win. And she's like, all right, a switch flipped and I never won again. And that was the day, I'm not even kidding, that was the last time I played Monopoly in my life. (laughs) I hate Monopoly. I hate playing that game. I want nothing to do with it, okay? That's why I pulverize my kids in chess. (laughs) Who does stuff better than you, and so you don't want to be around them because they're just better at it. They're anointed for it. How about instead of competing with them get behind them partner with them who knows what will come out of you right as soon as you learn that you're not you're not always supposed to be the darling of the ball you don't need to be the center of attention you don't need the calling to be about you just get on the team maybe you're not called to be the first fiddle maybe second fiddle's okay maybe something will come out of you in service to someone else that you're destined for in the real version of you right? Come on. John Lennon or Paul McCartney. Which is it? Well, maybe when they came together, they're the Beatles. Maybe when they're separated, they just create weird music. (laughs) Get all funky and weird. David departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam because Saul's trying to kill him now. His brothers and his father's household heard that David got away, and so they all went down to him there. Family gets out of town. They know Saul's going to go after them next. So David's like, okay, what do we do? They're escaped to a cave. It's a fortified position. They can defend themselves. And then something weird happens. It says, everyone who is distressed, okay, so everybody who's freaked out and stressed, and everyone who is in debt, so nobody got no money, And everyone who is discontented. These are all the complainers. So a bunch of broke, stressed out complainers. Go to David and he becomes their captain. And there's about 400 men. So that means all the women and children are there besides. So they got however many, a couple thousand people in a cave. Does that sound like fun to you? But something of it is destiny. Why do I know that? Because out of those fighting men, we come to know them as the mighty men of David. They are the men of valor. They are the ones who are the greatest warriors in Israel's history. They're the ones everybody's afraid of. They go out to war and then there's a rumor, oh, the mighty men are there or even one of them is with the other team. People freak out and leave. There's stories of them being found in the field because everybody abandoned them and they got like a shovel glued to their hand. Because thousands and thousands of the enemy are just like laying dead around them. And their hand is like fixated onto the object that they just killed all those people. Why? Because God was with them. They're that kind of warrior on the team. Abishai. Joab. Major generals, movers and shakers, the ones that put kings on their thrones, were the distressed, indebted, complainers. And David's presence, the calling that was on David's life, them choosing to serve David called something great out of them. See, when you fixate on this, what's my calling, what's my purpose, when you make yourself the center of the universe, you you fail to recognize the people around you that God may be calling you to serve. That church in North Carolina, I, I wasn't fully on board for what they were about. We didn't need to be. When we showed up to that church, something in us said, you are home. This is your church. We... we we tried out several churches in town. But when we showed up to this one, man of church, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Pastor, Mike, Pastor Michael Fletcher. That man mentored me. That guy believed in me. He tried to hire me. He's a mover and a shaker. I would follow that dude into battle. I've only had a couple commanders in my life that were like that, that I would follow him. He was one of them. I didn't. I wasn't fully on board for what he was about so when god said we're supposed to be at that church when we arrived in that church i just asked the question all right how do i help point me in the direction i didn't go home and navel gaze wondering god what do you want me to do here (laughs) i didn't attempt listen i became friends with pastor michael he was a mentor He, he he's a leader And so I would have meetings with this man. I never, once, never once, I can't even imagine sitting down with a leader who is running something, who's paid the price and and gave birth to something, sitting down with them and then trying to tell them that they're doing it wrong. What kind of weird American idea is that? Where we believe we're the center of the universe, that it's about us. You're nuts. It's why stuff isn't working for you. It's why you're alone in your calling, wondering why God won't use you. Mm, are we, are we in church today? I didn't have to ask that question. When I sat down with Pastor Michael, I said, awesome. What are you about? Because God called us here, that means I'm going to use my giftings to help you succeed in that. I didn't have to ask the the identity question in that context, wondering how I fit in their equation. Because greatness comes out of you when you serve others. So let me ask the questions about your job. Why are you so discontent at your job? Why do you have to be the boss? Why do you need to feel like you need to tell your manager how to do their job? What's wrong with the one you've been given? Why don't you just become excellent at that? Why, what is it in us that needs to complain and stand in the way of others from succeeding? Why can't you just take your gift and help them succeed? Because at the end of the day, if you bump into this thing, this happened to me, okay? I'm, why, can I, why can Pastor Jamie preach this one with authority? Yeah, that's that lump right there. Because I've been through this one tens of times right? Hard-headed. Need to learn lessons through pain. Been there, done that. I'm encouraging you not to bump into that one here. Use your gifts to help us, right? So I didn't need to have to ask the question of what should we do. I just got on board and helped. And something began to rise out of me. Same thing will happen to you. I don't need to know what exactly we need to do when i when i bumped into a person this has happened many times in my life where i'll meet somebody and i'll just know that person is significant in my life if i try to figure it out like well why are they significant i don't always have answers especially if they're younger especially if they can't add value to what i'm trying to do i just know I like that kid. I want him on the journey. I love kids ministry and youth ministry for this reason. Okay, this is what I am. I'm passionate about kids ministry and youth ministry for this exact reason I'm telling you today. If I wasn't standing up here, that's where I'd be. Because I know that those kids I'm bumping into and I'm having conversations with and I'm drawing greatness out of them. I know that somewhere among them is a world changer. I know that I might be, I might be discipling the next Billy Graham. I might be talking to the governor of Minnesota. I might be talking to a mover and a shaker, some legislator, somebody that's going to change the future of our nation. I could be speaking into their lives right now. But listen to me, and listen to me carefully. If you are one of these people that needs to determine whether someone is worth investing in, based on what they can do for you, you're in the wrong kingdom. have prophetic eyes. See what's possible that God could do through their life. And then you take everything that's in you and all the gifts you have and all the grace that you have, and you make it at their service to help them to succeed. Don't be a Saul. Don't be a Saul. See greatness in people and call it out of them. that's enough of that Pastor Jamie I don't know what my identity is in God I don't know my purpose let me stop you there who's God put in your life do you have a wife do you have children okay then why are we talking about identity you are a husband and a father and you should be the best one ever You should lay down your life to see those kids succeed. You should serve your wife until she is incredibly brilliant at whatever is on her heart. You should lay down your life for that girl. Wives, you should believe in your husbands. You should love and respect them. You should should bolster and help them to succeed. No one said anything about being a doormat. Are you kidding me? Nah, nah, you be a queen. Don't compromise your identity, but use it to empower. Use it to lift people up. When you bump into friendships and people, and you, there might be some that your heart just comes alive in, and, and you just go, man, I don't know why, but I really like that person. Okay, how about moving hell pushing anything out of the way how about making decisions that are powerful so that you can do stuff with them we're not victims so if you feel like you're supposed to be doing life with someone and partnering with somebody then a job can't hold you back quit do it with them Or maybe it doesn't need to be that extreme. Maybe it could just be, hey, how about you start calling him once a week? How about you grow a friendship? Something sparked. Take it seriously. Who knows? David met Jonathan, and it said instantly David's heart was knit to Jonathan. Instantly. I think it was Jonathan who, like, literally paved the way so that David could become king with his own life. Jonathan covenanted himself to David to make sure that he could get where God was taking him. Y'all, that was an instantaneous connection from the beginning. There was a spark of life. They knew this person's important. I don't know who that is for you. Maybe, maybe it's a group of people. Maybe you came to the house and, and you like walked in. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this testimony from you guys. You came to a first worship service and you just knew you were home. Come on, just wave at me if you had that experience. Okay, can I remind you that you're also the same people that when it doesn't go your way, you are muttering and complaining to me about it. You're trying to make us be your last church and how things went. Well, you left your last church. I'm telling jokes, but I'm being serious. Do you understand how just as weird that is? Like, if we're called to be together in this, then let's do this. If God made you alive in a context among the people, then maybe there's something here for you. Right? And, and so now you're like, well, well, I don't have any friends. Make some nobody likes me there oh my gosh is this how your childhood went? <laughs> mommy they don't like me well how about doing stuff that they like too? how about going out of your way to invite people to lunch how about pouring into other people's lives come on y'all let's do this together yes. if if this is a people that you feel like you're called to to walk with in life if you feel destiny attached to this then 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 instead of trying to figure out how we can serve you, how about asking the question, how do I contribute what God has done in me to help this thing become what God made it to be? Do you see? When I met Greg Stuy, I'm going to embarrass you. Sorry, Greg. He had been the person overseeing all the sound stuff at his previous church. He's way overqualified, right? He began to serve. Some of the interactions in the process were bumpy along the way, but Greg and his wife had decided that this was their home church, and so any kind of offenses, and we had some offenses at the beginning. We had to work through some stuff. Like, it wasn't, you know, like, 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 this is relationships, it's life, you know? It's just, and we're, we, we figured it out very quickly. Greg's humble and he's teachable and he's all these things, and, and he had no reason to be in our context because he was further along than us. And in this context, he just has used his gifts to serve. And so you don't see it, but I do, because right across my office, every single Sunday morning, he's there at 8.30, dialing, sound in so that the people online can have a good experience. Dude, y'all, I don't know why God brought you here, but I can tell you this, that if he did bring you here, then we need you. We need you. Maybe it's a people that God calls you to, that something will happen inside of you that calls you to the surface. Maybe it's a physical place. I've had that happen to me. I go to a physical place, and something in me goes, like, whoa, like Bethel. Like, not not Bethel Redding, California, like Bethel in the Bible. Jacob goes to sleep one night and has a God encounter. He wakes up the next day and goes, whoa, God is in this place. Right? That's just a rock and a hill, like, ah. But the place caused them to come alive. I don't know what that is for you, but I can tell you this, that if God has you here, but a place makes you come alive, then maybe you're not needing to leave to go to a place. Maybe you're supposed to bring what it was that was in that place here and cause it to come alive. I have one last thought. (laughs) Listen, the Super Bowl until like seven o'clock tonight. You ain't (laughs) got nothing. You're a team in in it anyway, right? So listen, you don't have to like your job. I don't know who told you that, but servanthood isn't about me, 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 okay? I can tell you that who you are can come alive in a way that brings life to everyone around you and makes something succeed and become better and that you can go from despising an experience to absolutely enjoying it and coming alive in it if you'll choose to serve without making it about yourself. It's just an idea but I think you could be in your dream job right now. Grass is always greener. It always is. Okay. You alive? All right, would you jump to your feet today? You survived, good job. All right, would you put a hand on your heart? Simple prayer. Holy Spirit, come on, just pray it with me right now. Would you just repeat after me? Holy Spirit, help me to find my people. Help me to partner with those you've called me to partner with. Help me to find home base. Help me to become who you've made me to be. You're my King, Jesus. You're my Lord. And so I choose to submit to you. And out of reverence for you, I'll serve all others for your glory all right now father i'm asking right now that by your spirit that you would pour out on each one and god i pray that the gifts and callings would come alive i pray father that you give us eyes to see people to run with and partner with and to do life with and i pray god for lifelong friendships relationships that just are incredible God, I pray for divine appointments and that when we come across these people that, that something would just notify our brains that we would know it. And I thank you, God, for that. And I, I thank you also, Holy Spirit, just for grace to serve, Lord, to humble ourselves and to love and to, to demonstrate Jesus, who you are to a broken world around us. Lord, that this generation would fully come to know you. There really would be the billion soul harvest. Lord, use us, bring glory, bring glory to yourself, Lord. God, we commit our lives to this purpose. Now I bless your people this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you that you glean, you would just radiate. May he be gracious to you. You'd have everything you need. May the Lord grant you peace that you wouldn't be tormented, but that you would be able to exceed in life and do well. God, I thank you for this people, and I bless them today. I bless you in Jesus, my name. In Jesus, my name. And if you dare to agree with it, okay, listen, it's means so be it unto me. So if you say amen here, you mean it, okay? But if you agreed with this prayer, you said amen. All right. Can we give a clap to the Lord today?